there is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Well, good evening and happy July 4th weekend. Happy Independence Day. This is Debbie George Addis. Thanks for tuning in and for tuning in my first five tonight. Tonight, I want to talk, of course, about July 4th. You know, this show, every week I tell our listeners that this show is really dedicated to the idea that each generation, including our generation now, has the obligation, the responsibility to the Americans of the future to hold on to the precious, unique idea that is America. And Independence Day weekend is a great day, to, a great time to remind ourselves why America is so great and so exceptional. Well, I was getting ready for the show, and of course, there are you know hundreds of things I could have chosen, but I found, I went back and found Ronald Reagan's farewell address to the nation. This was January 11th, January 11th of 1989. He said a few things I want to share with you tonight. He started about talking about America, what a precious country it is, and that's what we're celebrating July 4th, is the forma- the Declaration of Independence, the, the beginning of America. And in Ronald Reagan's um, farewell address, he said, ours was the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government with three little words, we the people. We the people tell the government what to do, it doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver, the government is the car, and we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all of the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is the document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. Those were Ronald Reagan's uh, part of his um, his farewell address to the nation in January of 1989. The other part of it I want to read to you, which I just think is really important. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's such a political divide in this country, and we talk about it so often. But you know, there really are many unifying ideas about America, about the founding of our country. And one thing that Ronald Reagan said in this, I just loved. He was advocating for an informed patriotism. He was on the idea that it's not just, you know, we happen to have been born in this country within these geographic borders, and so we wave our flags. We like, we like America. We like our flag, not other ones. It's a very deep, profound thing to be a genuine patriot, to genuinely be have patriotism for America. And he talked about the importance of that patriotism. We want an informed patriotism. It's a great expression. He went on to say, Are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? Those of us who are over 35 years or so of age grew up in a different America. And think how different it is now, folks, in 2017. But this is Ronald Reagan, 1989, saying how different America was even then. He said, we were taught, we and Ronald Reagan's generation, were taught very directly what it means to be an American. And we absorbed, almost in the air, a love of country and an appreciation of its institutions. If you didn't get these things from your family, you got them from the neighborhood, from the father down the street, who fought in Korea, or the family who lost someone at Anzio, or you could get a sense of patriotism from school. And if all else failed, you could get a sense of patriotism from the popular culture. Movies celebrated democratic values, implicitly reinforced the idea that America was special. TV was like that too through the mid-60s. 
And, you know, this, uh, he goes on, and honestly, I urge all of you, it'll be posted on our uh, website, americacanwetalk.org, and it will be on our Facebook page, which is America Can We Talk, a link to Ronald Reagan's full farewell address, because you really glean from the, just the profound respect and, and really understanding he had of why America was great, exceptional, and unique. And he was trying to, it, it was a wake-up call back then when things weren't as off track as they have become now, that he was saying, remember what, why this country is so precious and so special. So tonight, I'm going to dedicate almost the whole show to issues relating out to or springing out of the ideas in our Declaration of Independence, the ideas of respect for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the basic notion that we live in a country where we, the people, hold the power. We tried to create a country, our founders did, in the Declaration and later in the Constitution, where the people hold the power and they shape our country's future. And we did not agree ever to a a federal government, large and powerful, that just was going to substitute someday for the monarchy we overthrew from England. We tried to create a new path for the world, a country based on freedom. And in America today, we have a lot of challenges that really undermine this idea of holding on to America's freedom. And some of them we'll touch on tonight. I want to just mention a couple of them right now. Just college campuses, the shutdown of free speech. This is not just a right versus left view or liberal versus conservative. This is, do we have free speech or we don't have free speech? We have massive expansion of Americans over the eight years under the Obama presidency. Massive expansion of people trapped in dependency on the government, which is a taking away of their freedom a taking away their freedom to explore, to build their lives and build their dreams. We have had over the last eight years under President Obama a a virtual abandonment of the border, an abandonment and just kind of loss of the sense of citizenship. So as we go through tonight's show, I want to just call that to your attention over and over and over that we are living in a time to just uh, and to celebrate july 4th to reclaim america's goodness and greatness and i want to say a quick thank you tonight i'm doing the show from san diego i want to thank jim bartow greg Lind- linda mood joseph campillo and chris squires of salem for getting me to be able to do this show here so i could enjoy my family vacation still do the show live we have great guests coming up don't go away Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. 
We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm so glad you've tuned in. And again, happy Independence Day weekend. This is Debbie Georgiatis. And if you're listening in the great state of Texas, which I love and is our home, I'm broadcasting this from San Diego, California. And um, the beach was beautiful yesterday. I'll just say that. <laughs> and I love Texas, but it's nice to visit California. We have our um, we have family out here, and so we're visiting my husband's family and our daughter and have all our kids out here, so we're having a great time. But we are remote in San Diego, where I'm going to guess it's a little cooler than Dallas, Texas. Okay, but back to Independence Day weekend. You know, this is my favorite non-religious holiday, July 4th. I love the idea that really to celebrate Independence Day, we should all just take a minute and remember what America is all about, what the idea of America is all about. Because America is not about just, we happen to have certain geographic borders. It's not just about the, um, 
you know, that race or ethnicity of anyone is entirely about ideas, the ideas that created this country. And among them, the most basic is just the idea of freedom in this country. And that's one thing I want to spend a little bit of time talking uh, right now about uh, an, an issue which may not seem like a freedom issue, but I, I tell you, you know, when, when America was formed, the whole idea was we wanted to put the hand, power in the hands of the people. We wanted to create a government that was responsive to the people, responsive to what we said we wanted. We choose people in elected office to represent us. So that the idea was to keep power within the hands of the people, keep it locally, not based in Washington, not based in a faraway government. But I want to turn to something that is going on right now, and this is a health care debate. And we've talked many, many times about the provisions in Obamacare and how it was designed to fail, and it, was, it is failing. And there are just now literally dozens of counties in the country with no insurance policy available under Obamacare. Obamacare was written very intentionally to fail. That was the point of it being written, because the liberals who pushed it through wanted to get to single payer. They actually want socialized medicine. So where we are right now, just to point out to you what a freedom issue this health care bill really is. So we had where we stand, I think everybody knows, but we had you know, Obamacare passed in 2010. So we've only had it for seven years. I guess March of 2010, so whatever it is, seven years and three or four months. But we have an American left with just a bound determination that nothing about it can be changed, even when it's failing. And I want to tell you a particular thing that just highlights exactly this point I'm trying to make. So the House, you know, we have Republicans have a majority. They have completely dropped the ball on repealing Obamacare, which they had promised. They were going to repeal the whole thing. They all promised. Yeah, we've been all this many times. They didn't do it. But now here we are on uh, July 4th weekend in 2017, and the House has passed a very, very uh, barely a repeal, you know, taking a few away the few, a few of the taxes and the mandates, but otherwise keeping federal government control over the insurance companies, keeping in place the four aspects of Title I regulations that made uh, that caused the insurance uh, costs to explode, caused people to lose their insurance policies, caused Americans to buy policies they don't want and can't afford. They can't afford the deductibles. I mean, Obamacare was a seizure of power by the federal government. It was not the Democrats. Do not delude yourselves. It was not the Democrats wanting to help poor people or helping people who have pre-existing conditions. The idea of Obamacare was to, was to expand federal government power. If the liberals wanted to just help the poor, they could have focused in 2010 on passing a bill that in some way expanded access to care for the mentally or physically disabled or who or which um, in some way expanded, uh, provided assistance to low income people to purchase insurance. They could have focused on the very tiny percentage of Americans who needed help from the federal government. But liberals didn't do that. They decided in 2010 to take over the entire health care system. And this is where we sit today, a failing Obamacare. Not failing. It has failed. It is not working. So the Republicans uh, didn't repeal when they said they would. They do a little bit in the House. So now it sits in the hands of the Senate. And this is the point I want to make. Texas Senator Ted Cruz, um, who is a just a rock star, freedom fighter, fabulous senator in the U.S. Senate, has proposed an option. So the Senate is now dealing with the health care, the health care bill the House sent over. They don't have agreement. They have, you know, five or so Republicans who don't even like the very mild repeal the House did. They have other Republicans in the Senate who want a more uh, a more full repeal, an actual return to freedom. But listen to this point and just think about what it says about the liberals in this country, the big government liberals. 
So Senator Cruz proposed what he's calling a freedom option. The freedom option. All that means is that health insurance companies in this country who issue policies that comply with Obamacare, comply with all the regulations that made health care, made health insurance impossibly expensive, all the Title I regulations, the essential benefits, community rating, mandated issue, all those all those very socialist medicine kind of requirements that Obamacare had, Ted Cruz said, how about just this freedom option? Insurance companies, if they issue insurance that complies with Obamacare, issue policies, they also could issue policies that they want to issue, that insurance companies want to issue because they think it's a policy maybe someone in America would like, that they could issue policies as long as they issue some that comply with Obamacare, they could also issue some that don't comply, that are lesser policies, that would maybe just offer people uh, limited coverage for a limited premium or that only cover certain things, not other things. The actual idea of all astounding things in a free market, an insurance company could write policies based on what they think their customers want, and then they can find out if their customers, the American people, want to buy those policies. It's a basic freedom idea. It should be freedom 101. It should not even be a debatable subject. But where we stand already at this point and only seven years into Obamacare, the liberals, the Democrats, the media are hysterical over the idea of the federal government giving insurance companies the right who already issue policies and will continue to issue policies that comply with federal law, comply with Obamacare, to give them the right to also issue other policies that the American people want. Let me put it in a flat-out simple way. If I live in Texas and the insurance company down the street wants to issue a policy, and they say, hey, we have this policy, here's what it covers, here's what it costs. I say, gee, that's just right for me. I'd like that policy. That transaction should be without question available in a free country. It shouldn't even be a debate, but we're sitting here listening in 2017. We have so surrendered to government-controlled society, government-controlled health care, that, that it is a radical concept that Democrats, media, lefties in this country cannot even agree that an insurance company could issue a policy that they think I might like and I, in fact, do like and want to purchase. What they're saying is they, the federal government, get to decide what must be in every insurance policy. You can't have people, you can't have people able to purchase a policy they want from an insurance company that wants to sell it to me because somehow, and I'll tell you what the because is, the because is if you're on the American left, your entire goal, your entire goal in the healthcare arena is socialized medicine. It's single payer. It is we will take over all of health care and you're going to let us. And this notion of any element of freedom is just, it, they are erupting. I mean, some of the headlines, honestly, because we're traveling, I didn't print them out, but I saw some of the headlines. They were just, just going crazy that Ted Cruz was somehow going to, in fact, I saw one of the articles from Salon or one of those left-wing um, websites was on and on about the idea of this um these policies were just going to, you know, these are meant to slam. It's a slam in the face of the poor. It is unfair. Just, you know, just outrageous. They're outraged with the idea that we have free markets. That's what the left is really telling you. We don't have free markets. We, the left, we tell you if free markets are okay. And we're saying, no, we're going to tell you, even if these onerous policies that nobody likes and nobody wants to have to buy are, are still sold by insurance companies, 
that they say, no, actually, we in Washington, we decide. And folks, once you surrender this, I mean, this idea that the left has now thinks, thinks the federal government owns health care, they decide what's okay, and they decide what is not okay. You know, what they're saying is, yeah, we actually don't believe in free markets. We don't believe in your freedom. We don't believe in the intelligence of the American people to purchase policies that they want. We believe in big, fat federal government control over the entire health care system, and we cannot let a, a pinch of freedom go. So if you're listening to this show and you are in Texas and you have Ted Cruz and he is your senator, I urge you to communicate with him, commend him, thank him, urge Senator Cornyn to get on board with this. And wherever you're listening, whether you're a listener in Peoria, Illinois, or Columbus, Georgia, please communicate with your representatives in Congress that you actually want insurance companies to have the freedom to offer the insurance they want to issue and people want to buy. The notion that we couldn't repeal Obamacare entirely is bad enough. The notion that we cannot even permit insurance companies to additionally sell policies, it's a big fat signal to anyone who's paying attention that the Democrat Party in this country, the liberals in this country, do not believe in American-style liberty. They don't believe in it. They don't like it. They don't want it, and they want to stop you from having access to it. Okay, folks, I got it's a liberty issue. This insurance, the freedom of insurance companies, is a liberty issue. Time to fight for it. Okay, so we're going to zip off to break here. But when we get when we get back, I wanted to be sure you know we have a great guest coming up, Talmadge Boston, um, who is a friend, a local author in Dallas. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Appreciate so much you tuning in. And again, happy Independence Day weekend. So glad you've joined us. I love this holiday. I love the holiday that is supposed to inspire all of us to think about the unique greatness of America and truly the unique greatness of a country founded on freedom. Well, I mentioned before the break that we have a guest joining us. And um, I believe we have on the line, uh, we have Talmadge Boss on the line. Hello, sir. Hi, Debbie. So glad to have you. I will tell our listeners a bit more. Talmadge Boston, actually he and his wife are friends of ours, and uh, he lives in Dallas, and he's a, a an author. And the book we're going to talk about tonight, I will tell you in a moment other things he's written, but the book he wrote that I want to talk about tonight is so fitting for the July 4th holiday. The title of it is Cross-Examining History, A Lawyer Gets Answers from the Experts About Our Presidents. And before I launch into my many questions, Talmadge, I just want to take a minute and have you or just share a bit about how you wrote this book, and maybe you can and tell about it too, but there are 31 interviews, and these are uh, the book relates to 20 presidents, and uh, for each of them, there's either an interview. Actually, why don't you go ahead and tell them what you did to get the stories to each of these presidents. I, I love your format. So, Tom, why don't you tell us how you did that? Well, in Dallas for many years, I've been doing on-stage interviews with leading historians and presidential insiders as they came through town. And it occurred to me uh, about four years ago that it would be good to have a record of what was said in these interviews. And so we started recording them and then having them transcribed and then editing them so that they're a really tight, easy read. And so the idea was to line up a major a highly respected biographer of every significant American president. Uh, 
and do an on-stage interview with that person, and they ended up being all over the country. It's not an interview of every president, because that would make the book three and a half times longer Mm -hmm. than it is, but only the ones that I call the significant presidents, not the best necessarily. For example, uh, I have an interview with a biographer of Herbert Hoover. He was not a great president, but he was the president when the Depression came, and so he was a significant president since that was such a crisis. Uh, I also decided that to the extent I had access to White House insiders to get their perspective on the presidents they served, then I would line up interviews with them. And I did with Henry Kissinger, James Baker, John Sununu, Linda Johnson, Rob, Andy Card. Uh, and so, but mainly the book is uh, presidential historians on the order of uh, David McCullough, Ken Burns, John Meacham, Doug Brinkley, H.W. Uh, Brands, uh, you know, Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestselling. No doubt about it. Uh, highly respected, top of the mark uh, presidential historians. I love that, and I will say also for our listeners that um, the way this book is written. So each of these interviews, there was an actual interview on stage, and then I just I noted in your book how you captured these. That in addition to having them recorded and transcribed, uh, you sent them back to the person interviewed. They could make corrections and changes, but it really has a realness about the inter- the exchanges back and forth because it was not edited flowing prose i mean it's wonderful but it's it's really actually their direct answers to what you had to say to your various questions and it's just it, it's a, such an a, a um it's an insightful and deep read but it's easy to read too so i i just i loved it really enjoyed it and uh i'll tell our listeners that so we're speaking with talmage boss and he selected 20 presidents and it's funny when i saw you for, in the book i got it where it said 20 presidents i was thinking oh i hope he did calvin coolidge because i want to get to him i, I kind of like him but um backing up from that i will say to start with what was one thing that struck me um talmage is that when you were talking to one of the biographers about john adams our second president and he was describing, I, I had this kind of flashback to high school history. I hadn't really thought about the Sedition Act since high school, I guess. And the notion that there was, here we had a country, a new country. We'd had one president, now we're into our second president. And there was dissension and disagreement and, and criticizing. And people were publishing things in newspapers and saying bad things. And John Adams and his team on the Federalist side decided there should be a law that prevented criticism of the government. And, you know, newly today, because we are so mindful of so much criticism occurring uh, in politics and people complain about being criticized, but they, they, they kind of lost track of what they're, they were dedicated to start with just, just a few decades earlier in the Declaration. I mean, didn't you find that just amazing to think about? Yeah, very definitely. Uh, under the Sedition Act of 1798, <clears throat> anyone who criticizes President Adams or any Federalist policy uh, was deemed to commit a crime punishable by incarceration, such that we had people thrown in jail for having exercised their right of free speech or freedom of the press to criticize the President or any Federalist policy. So, like you just said, I think a lot of people have forgotten about that, but to me it it sets up the the presidency of Thomas Jefferson, who of course followed Adams, and his uh, biggest responsibility entering office uh, was to try to bring this country back into a mode of unity after it was in such a high state of, of polarization, uh, as best exemplified by the Sedition Act. Now the good news was the Sedition Act expired by its own terms, 
at the end of Adams' presidency. So that it was no longer in effect when uh, Jefferson was, was sworn in. But, but nonetheless, the division and the discord was there. And, and, and I highlight in the book uh, Jefferson's efforts to uh, try to rise above the political fray and, and build consensus uh, among uh, both the parties so that the, the new country, barely a decade old, could actually move forward and get things done. You know, I want to—I I love Thomas Jefferson, uh, that chapter two, but I want to go back to John Adams for one second. You know, I was thinking about how today, even when people, for example, speech suppression on college campuses, when someone realized that isn't the government, but still the concept is being talked about in America so much that people go to college campuses that are liberal in nature and their, their speech is shut down. But the justification on behalf of the people, the students, and sometimes the faculty that support them is, well, this is either... It's either hate speech or it's just it's, it's dangerous, it's wrong, that there's a, a sense of moral superiority on behalf of the people suppressing speech. And you kind of had that same feeling about John Adams and the Federalists. They felt like they were protecting this new country by trying to suppress speech. Do you agree with that analogy? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, Adams uh, recognized that the new country was, was very fragile and that the divisions were deep. Uh, and obviously he didn't want the country to, to collapse uh, in his presidency, so he thought he had to do something. But obviously to uh, be part of a law that uh, nullified one of our rights in the Bill of Rights, or two of them actually, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, was uh, beyond the pale. And uh, in terms of relating that uh, to today, I don't think – uh, anybody would think of, of passing a law uh, along the lines of the Sedition Act, <clears throat> but something that, that must happen uh, going forward, particularly in the light of what's been going on on the co college campuses, is uh, college presidents are, are going to have to be held accountable and are going to have to be have to put into place uh, procedures uh, that will make sure that somebody who is merely uh, expressing a a Republican or minority, as far as the college campus, a minority perspective on particular issues, absolutely has that right to give his speech without being jeered and attacked. And those who want to hear it can fully hear it. And those who don't either must be silenced and make it clear any disruption will cause your immediate expulsion from the college period the end or some such strong policies in place that will uh, hopefully uh, change what we've got now, which is which is a, a situation that, that both you and I agree on is, is totally out of control. It really is. The other thought I had on the way over to the studio tonight, as I was thinking about this interview, was how you know the Sedition Act expired, and that was good. But really, what you and I do, I'm going to get back to your book in a moment. But the speech thing is on my mind today, I guess because it's July Fourth weekend, and we're celebrating our independence. But you know, you can repeal or have a sedition act end, but the culture of intolerance of diverse viewpoints, you can't legislate it away. It's, it, I agree with every solution you just suggested, but it's, it's really a, a, a refreshed introduction in American society again to the value of that Western civilization, free discourse, exchange of ideas that has to come from leadership in Washington, leadership on the college campuses. It reminds all of us that this is how we got this country and how we got to be, you know, what Western is a hallmark of Western civilization. That we listen to each other. It's harder to change in a way than a law. You have to change the culture that believes they're doing something good by shutting you down. 
It's amazing. Okay. Well, you know, we have another minute here before we go off the break, and we're speaking, if you have just tuned in, uh, to Talmadge Boston, who is the author of a book that we are talking about. It is called, I'm so sorry, I too many papers in front of me here, uh, Cross-Examining History, A Lawyer Gets Answers from the Experts About Our Presence. We come back, Talmadge, we do have a break coming up in just a moment here, but I want to ask you your... Um, you know, you, you went through these various uh, presents, and we're going to hit on a bunch of them, but I'm curious when we come back, if any of them, when you finished your interviews, did you realize that you were, did you realize that, that yet you were off track, or that it, you thought of them, and you liked them anew, or did you have people who changed their mind about So we'll come back right after the break and talk about that with Talmadge Boston. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. 
Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to uh, tell our listeners on Facebook. I love doing Facebook Live. We're in Dallas. We have it all set up, but I'm broadcasting tonight from San Diego, and we don't have the Facebook Live thing working. So I'm getting, I can see everybody posting saying, can't hear anything, can't hear you, or I only hear you, I can't hear your guest. So sorry. I love doing this show uh, in Dallas. I love doing it in Facebook, and I'm sorry if you're not able to hear, but you can go to your AmericaCanWeTalk.org the website and uh, click on um, click on listen live and you can hear the interview there that's uh, just for tonight we don't have Facebook live working so we're back speaking I mentioned before with Talmadge Boston author of cross-examining history a lawyer gets answers from the experts about our presence great show great topic for July 4th weekend and uh, as I mentioned earlier he uh, Talmadge men- interviewed either people who worked with these presidents or who wrote extensive um, and studied their lives and wrote biographies about them so it's it's just a really great um, picture of various presidents uh, in the country so I want to change uh, course a little bit before I ask more specific so in your research for this book and you're interviewing people Talmadge did you find uh, did you find your opinion greatly changed about any one president, like like him a lot more than you thought or disliked him now that you know more? Well, th- there were uh, several instances of that. <clears throat> First of all, Thomas Jefferson, of course, all the news on Jefferson in recent years has been focused on the fact that he was a, a slaveholder and how could the man who said all men are created equal in the Declaration of Independence own hundreds of slaves most of his adult life? And, and the chapter on Jefferson and Peter Onuf, the, the historian I interviewed on Jefferson, gave me a lot of clarity on explaining this apparent hypocrisy, uh, recognizing the politics of the time that, that Jefferson knew that there was no way in the world he, uh, a state legislature or the federal government was going to uh, outlaw slavery. Uh, but as important, perhaps more important, the economics of the time, and that is that if you owned a large plantation farm, uh, in the late 1700s and early 1800s, there was no labor force. There, there, were, there was not an a immigrant labor force lining up to, to go to work on the farms. Uh, and so the only uh, source of uh, labor, uh, if you wanted to make your plantation work, was 
slavery. Now, that's horrible. Slavery was evil, but at the time, it was legal. And so either you can abandon your plantation and, and do something totally different, or you can make it work as your father and grandfather had uh, under the law uh, in the southern states. And so to get – and there was a big write-up in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, a new biography of Jefferson, and this is key, I think, to understanding every president, and that is you've got to understand them in their time and in their place. We can't look at Thomas Jefferson with a 21st century sensibility and say, oh, what an evil man. We have to evaluate – Thomas Jefferson was not living in the 21st century. He was living in, in, in the late 18th and, and early 19th century. And, and what were the circumstances in play? Uh, what was his, his life experience? And thus, what decisions did he make? Now, uh, another president who surprised me greatly, who is all of a sudden turning into a rock star on the rise in presidential evaluation, is Ulysses S. Grant. And the reason for that was because during his two-term presidency, uh, after Andrew Johnson, who succeeded uh, Lincoln, uh, Grant was, was amazing in terms of the way he responded to all the bad things going on uh, for African Americans during Reconstruction, uh, the amazing ways he responded to protecting Native Americans as they were being removed from their lands. And so all of a sudden, uh, you saw late last year, Ron Grant had, had a great biography of uh, excuse me, Ronald White had a great biography of Grant. H.W. Brands three years ago had a big best-selling biography of Grant. And most importantly, Ron Chernow, who wrote Hamilton and won the Pulitzer for his biography of George Washington, has a book coming out this October on Grant. And this is causing Grant's star to rise among the, in the rankings uh, far faster than, than any other president in recent years. And I think that's going to continue because he had essentially a 21st century sensibility on race uh, while he was uh, president in the, in the 1870s and 1880s, so so you've got to you know step back and admire somebody who can see way beyond the horizon and, and look at it with 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 those sorts of eyes. Uh, Eisenhower uh, has emerged uh, in the most recent ranking that came out in January uh, by this uh, poll of historians that's been going on since the 1940s. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower is now rated fifth, the fifth best president behind Lincoln. Washington, FDR, and Teddy Roosevelt. Eisenhower is fifth, Truman is sixth. And so there's this increasing awareness that Eisenhower, for his eight years, presided over a country which uh, was in prosperity and not at war. He brought a prompt end to the Korean War, a war that Truman never could have figured out how to resolve as quickly as he did. And so there is this growing, deep appreciation for Eisenhower for him to, to when, in 1963, when I was a child and I saw my first presidential ranking poll, it was when Kennedy was president. Eisenhower was rated 22nd after he left office immediately. People thought he was an old man, he played too much golf, et cetera, et cetera. Now, recognizing eight years of peace and prosperity and going out warning the country of the evils of the military industrial con, uh, complex, this guy was brilliant and he was successful and he, uh, in his own uh, kind of indirect, way, but nonetheless effective way, brought an end to McCarthyism. He, he brought the federal troops into, into Little Rock to, to enforce Brown versus Board of Education. And so it is uh, fun to see how, over time, uh, as historians reevaluate the people and their circumstances and the, and the results, uh, that, that opinions uh, can change rather dramatically in evaluating these presidents. 
That is all so interesting. I couldn't take notes fast enough while you were talking because you obviously have just, uh, you've gathered a wealth of information about these presidents and their, the changes and how they're seen in the world. I had a thought about Reagan. I was reading, you know, I, I have, a, of course, a good Republican. I have a soft spot in my heart for Ronald Reagan and appreciation for him. And I saw some of the rankings that were mentioned in the book, and they, they talk about, oh, great presidents, for example. You know, they got us to wars. You just you have to love George Washington, be grateful. You know, he was a hero in the Revolutionary War, and Abraham Lincoln was a hero in dealing with, um, you know, dealing with the Civil War, bringing an end to it, and freeing the slaves. That was, of course, just, a, you know, you have to rank that. But the thing I thought about Reagan, you know, he was— he had the Cold War going on, which was its own unique thing. But I, I guess I hold him in a special esteem because I think he came along at a time when there was a need for a reinvigoration of the this love for, respect for, just kind of, I mean, patriotism can seem like a shallow cheerleady kind of word. And I don't mean it that way. In a very substantive way, I think people had a sense when Reagan came along, he was kind of course changing because he reinstilled that sense of love of country and that America's a good people and the American people are good people. And I, I think he helped America feel that. Um, so maybe he doesn't have a civil war that he ended, but there was, I thought it was, he'll be a, have a significant place in history. Do, do you think that's, how, what do you think about that? Well, the most re recent ranking has Reagan at number uh, nine, and so he uh, definitely is uh, highly, highly, highly regarded by everybody, uh, in particular because of what he did to bring an end to the Cold War, which had obviously been going on for, for, for several decades. And, as you said, because he's recognized as the great communicator who could inspire the country, give it hope that it certainly did not have during Jimmy Carter's presidency. I'm sure your listeners will not be surprised to know that I do not regard Carter as a significant president, and thus there is no <laughs> Jimmy Carter chapter in my book. But but Reagan got America back into a mode of of believing that, that it was – you know, uh, the, high, the high house on the hill or whatever that he said, and, and just giving everybody hope. And and the key to Reagan, you know, his first term, he was just off the charts great in every respect. And the reason for that was his White House chief of staff was James Baker. Uh, after his first term, uh, Baker and, and Donald Reagan changed places, and Baker became secretary of treasury, and Reagan uh, became White House Chief of Staff. They they flip-flopped. Well, Baker, as Secretary of the Treasury, led the uh, 1986 Tax Reform Act, which is the most important and influential tax reform act uh, in, in the last hundred years anyway, and maybe in American history. Re Reagan was a totally ineffective White House Chief of Staff, and both Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan, in their respective memoirs, said that if James Baker had been the White House Chief of Staff during, Baker, during Reagan's second term, there never would have been an Iran-Contra uh, scandal. Mm. Uh, mm. Reagan just he and he and Reagan did not have the rapport. Uh, he did not stay on top of the details uh, the way Baker did. And, and that also sets up why George H.W. Bush uh, is regarded so highly despite being a one-term president because James Baker was his secretary of state, and, and arguably they had the most effective uh, four years of American international diplomacy as they brought an end to the Cold War. They unified Germany. Of course, we had the successful uh, Gulf War, and, and so uh, James Baker was really the key uh, to both to the success of both uh, Reagan's first term and and uh, his second term, as far as the Tax Reform Act, but and also to George H. W. Bush's presidency.
You know, two of the things we, I, we still have a few minutes left here. One was, I had the sense reading some things in the book that when these people, especially people who worked with the president, like people who worked with Reagan, talked about how he was, you know, so affable and likable in the public eye, but he really kept a wall around himself. And then the other similar observation, I think it was uh, Calvin Coolidge. There were people talking about his personality. And it's kind of funny. I, I had a almost a defensive feel, like, you know, I don't really want to know these things about them that diminish them. But actually, I was at the more I thought about it, reading your book is it is a really healthy, good thing for Americans not to have any president or elected official on a pedestal, but to humanize them is actually a, a healthy way to more fully appreciate them. Well, I think Ken Burns, who wrote the foreword to my book, proved this extremely well in his 2014 PBS documentary on the Roosevelts because he demonstrated the, the deep flaws in both Franklin and Teddy Roosevelt, and despite those deep flaws in both of them, uh, they both are, you know, FDR's number three and Teddy Roosevelt's number four, and both of them are, are, are American heroes, and, and deservedly so, uh, and yet we have this high awareness uh, of their flaws. And, and I agree with you, and that's certainly the way Ken Burns looks at the world. Let, let's not... Uh, pick and choose uh, the, the reporting of history and the people who are our leaders in history. Let's tell the full story and let uh, everybody make his own conclusions about where you come out in evaluating the strengths and the weaknesses, the accomplishments and the failures. And, and so uh, I, I think that's essential to any uh, historian with any uh, deserving of any respect is you've got to tell the full story. Absolutely. Okay. If you are, we are brought up the end of our um, at the top of the hour here. We are speaking tonight with Talmadge Boston, author of Cross-Examining History: A Lawyer Gets Answers from the Experts About Our Presence. This is such a fun book to read and a, and a patriotic book to read. So I hope that you all can tune in and check it out on Amazon. Purchase it there. Talmadge, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Happy Fourth. Happy Fourth to all of you. Come right back. <laughs> 